looking at an old directory from years ago where we were both much younger. Um, and we're still young, but we've watched little ones grow up. And that is, that's such a blessing to see how this church has such an instrumental aspect in raising up children to be godly, knowledgeable people. And I want to thank you for that. You, your faithfulness has helped that. And remember that your prayers are key. A few housekeeping items. We have an offering box in the back. And the restrooms are downstairs. And men, we have a new baby changing policy for you enlightened men. Uh, we have another baby changing table that's for guys only because we're reserving the nursery for moms. So just be aware of that when you go downstairs. Um, and we'll be doing a um, child protection class for new people um, because we take the security of our little ones very seriously. The only other announcement besides next week's dinner, yes, um, is that Ladies Bible Study is going to be meeting this week, Thursdays virtually, and tomorrow evening at Gail's apartment, which is just out back here, apartment number three in the big white building. And I encourage you to join all the ladies for that time. Um, they kick me out, but I come back in a little early to see if there's any food left over, but there's no food. There's some tea left over, but just to see the ladies glowing after being together for fellowship and for good Bible study. It, it, that's a cool thing, too. So, Thank you, Andy. And for those of, that uh, want to thank you for supporting us as we traveled to Anchored in Truth Conference, and for those that were able to participate, uh, we, we will um, provide some additional word about, uh, report about what uh, went on and, and so forth. But we had a Great time to see your missionaries that you support, encourage some of those, and then get some encouragement for ourselves. And it's a great time. We'll talk more about it in days to come, and it may be something you want to prepare for as a mission effort as well to participate with us next year. We also have a beautiful, um, we call it a baby dedication on the folder. I hope you have one. If you're not, you can get one in the back. We'll need this in a bit. Really, I talked, I said, really, this is kind of a, going to be a baby blessing. Blake agreed, so hey, we might call this a baby blessing from this day forward, never know, but uh, the, the nuns are, are not available today because uh, uh, someone in their family's ill, so we will get a chance to do this all over again. And of course, we've got another one that um, was recently born that we want to bless as well. And uh, so we'll do that again. We'll be able to do this again in a few months. Um, I'll uh, try to stop rambling, but we'll also hear from some of these beautiful children who have been blessed and will bless us in singing the very words of God. And uh, I pray that it'll be a blessing for you. So we have a lot to look forward to this morning as we worship Christ and really led by the little ones here in just a moment.
But I want to give you a moment to prepare your heart to actually worship Christ as we begin. I'm going to give you pause for a moment, let you pray privately for this day, for worship. If you have sin to confess, confess your sin. Recognize that Jesus Christ is faithful and he will forgive you from all your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a hard thing to get over, isn't it? To think that he will actually do that. So we're going to give you a moment to pray and prepare your heart and to bless his holy name. This month we've been focusing on Psalm 103, including in my pastoral prayer, which I'll pray in just a moment. I'll, I'll read part of the, our selection for this week. I hope you spent time meditating in that great truth and think about the fact that God blesses holy name who forgives all our iniquities. Go to the Lord in prayer to prepare your heart privately. In just a moment, I'll pray for us corporately. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life in the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father knows, shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. And Father, we can only cry out, Abba, Father. We're thankful that you have drawn us in as children. May the display of these children in, their, in the beauty of their innocence remind us what it is like to come to you, to a father who is compassionate and caring, who would be thrilled at all that we do in our expressions of trust and faith and humility. May our worship of you be pleasing in your sight May we be humbled and recognize our quality of our performance is we will not be measured on that, but a heart that just simply responds in simplicity and faith and love and joy. We can't thank you enough for drawing us into yourself and surrounding us with other saints who cry out to you, O Holy Father. I pray that you'll continue to knit us together. May we set aside that sin that so easily besets us. May we, through the love of Christ that is poured into our hearts, be loving towards one another, patient, forgiving, kind, 
overlooking, trusting. May our eyes be fixed on Jesus Christ. May we be ever conformed to the image of your Son. I pray that you'll give us great joy, not in things, but in you. May our delight and rejoicing and hope be always continually on you. And as we gather together, may we encourage and stir one another up. Thanks for the gifts, small and great, all of them. May they redound to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, let's stand and take our hymn books and turn to number 456, and we'll sing How Firm a Foundation. Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. Psalm 119, 456. Simplicity 
and the sincereness of their faith. And this is a great and beautiful illustration of that. And we rejoice in that they will come and sing to us the word of God. It's a joy and privilege to hear from the little children. I want to thank those that parents and these that uh, help within the church to help the children to hide God's word in their heart. And I'll see if I can get through this. Most of these little children, I, I see them when they're first brought to the church, many of them just the first few days of life, and had the privilege of um, doing this dedication, this blessing of the children. We do this, we don't baptize them, we don't want them to be confused about their faith. Baptism represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We want to give all of them an opportunity at some point in their life when they become aware of the fullness and the reality of all that is and where they're able to express it to the church. We'll give them that opportunity when they can truly give a testimony from the heart of Christ. In the meantime, these children, as you see, are in their simplicity demonstrating what it is to come to Christ, to hide God's word in their heart, to express with great joy praises to his holy name. And I tell you, all of heaven looks into that and loves to hear the gospel, even on the tongues of little children. We have a great commitment and responsibility, both the parents and the church. It isn't just the parents, it's also the church, to live the gospel, to make that part of your life. If you look at the little... Brochure I have, or bulletin or whatever, in for the baby dedication. We're going to dedicate this morning uh, 
George Dewey Hargraves here in just a moment. But there's two parts to this. One is to the parents. It's a charge for a commitment. The other is to the church. that We have a responsibility as well to live for Christ, to pour Christ into the hearts of these children. And let me tell you, it is going to be a great day of joy here when you will hear some of these children give their testimony right here and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You're going to hear that. In the meantime, we will continue to teach them God's word, to encourage them to hide it in their heart and hold it. We'll live it out and we'll support that here. We'll see it expressed in our daily life, like is expressed here in this section from Deuteronomy, in which God's people live God's word. At least this is what they were told to do. May it be a part of your life. So much so that the kids have this special and unique blessing to hear God's word regularly. And it will not return void. And we will continue to pray. And as we do, there's prayer groups here, if you're not aware of, you can be a part of, that pray consistently for the salvation of all of these little ones. And we will storm the gates of hell with God's word and prayer. And he will bring many sons and daughters. And we will have the great joy of seeing salvation and sanctification in their life preaching of the gospel right here by these in generations to come. And we're instrumental in part of that, in laying that foundation and seeing that faith flourish. What an incredible blessing and privilege. And I appreciate each one of you for participating in that process. And if you're new with us, and this is what we do, we will gather around. And yeah, it's hard work, parents and church as well, put up with and deal with a lot of this as these kids are trained and go through different stages in the life. It is a lot of responsibility, but it is a burden that we'll bear so that it'll be a great blessing to see them with the joy of Christ in their heart. And one day they'll stand up and read scripture and proclaim it and teach it to their family generations beyond. What a great blessing and privilege to be a part of that. Um, this is not, um, this is a serious time that we're in in this commitment. We don't take it superficially, okay? We really mean this. And I assure you, all of your elders pray for your, for you and your little ones all the time. This is, this is a, a, a great aspect of what we do. And we'll continue to do so. We ask you to join with us in that, and not just in, in prayers, but in all of your life. And so, look at this address that we have. I'm going to ask for commitments to be made today, and then we'll express those commitments. And the answer to the questions will be something to the fact of yes, or yes we will, something to that effect when we come to it. But I don't want you to say it in rote, I want you to say it in reality to do it with great meaning, and may this remind you of our charge here, and one of the other aspects that we do of the church, and uh, as we uh, 
make disciples of all people, including these little ones. Well, let me invite the Hargraves up today, Ethan and Elena. They have a little one, George Dewey Hargraves. What a beautiful name. They'll typically call him George, although it may delve into Georgie, I don't know. Or hey you, come on up and I'll ask the elders to come up too, to give a blessing. You can come up on so we can see this little one. And I'm going to let you hold him because I don't do so good off the screen. But we will lay hands on you and let you know that we're supporting you. Do you have one of these? Let me give you that and turn this over this way so you can at least follow along. And let me see if I can find another one here I had too. Here's one. I have This is our charge. <coughs> and we will pray for you. And um, I'll be reading this so you guys will just have to answer. But I wanted you to see it just in case I, I uh, you wanted to follow along. But uh, I just want to assure you that we are uh, in great joy of this gift that God has given you. And uh, we sense in some sense that it's also given to us in that we want to live for Christ in front of George, that George would see Christ in all of us. And we will be praying for you that he will exalt Christ in his life, that God would use him in a unique way to display God's glory in the way that God has ordained for him to do so. And uh, that you will one day be aware of that and see that and rejoice with us and all of heaven. This takes a commitment, and I know it's hard, beyond changing diapers and waking up and the pain and bearing and all that goes on. You've already seen some blessings, and you'll see many more. But may the burdens that you guys bear in provision and care and so forth uh, be uh, outweighed by the blessing of this little one that God has given you to steward in this life towards Christ. And we will come alongside you for that. And so here is your char charge, Ethan and Elena. The child you hold, it is a gift from your heavenly father. Before the thought of your child entered your mind, the Lord had already determined that your child would be born and that you would be parents. Your child's birth is therefore an occasion to celebrate and to reflect on the God's goodness. And here's the question. Will you glorify God by recognizing that he has given you stewardship of this precious child? We will. Scripture commands you as parents to teach your child about the Lord Jesus Christ. Only then will your child be adequately equipped for the challenges of this life and sufficiently be prepared to meet the Lord when he returns. But your child's spiritual welfare will not be accomplished simply by you telling your child about Jesus. It's the words of your mouth combined with a godly lifestyle that will effectively communicate the message of God's love and saving power to your child. The birth of your child needs to inspire within the both of you a greater resolve to let Christ shine through you by being even more intentional 
in your pursuit of holiness and the supremacy of God in your home. Here's your question. Will you glorify God by teaching your child to value God above all things by what you do and say? We will. Here is the commitment then to the church. As a church, we are all part of the family of God. And as a family, we will need to work alongside these parents in their efforts to portray Christ to their child. Church, will you rise to the challenge of being brothers, sisters, mothers and fathers in Christ and exhibit godly characteristics and thus provide continuity in what is being taught at home and what is being seen in the church. Congregation, what is your response? As a family of God, we must also be willing to hold one another accountable and confront one another when a sin is made in order that the purity and the integrity of our commitments are maintained. You've heard these parents state their commitment to a greater level of Christ-likeness for the sake of their child. Will you acknowledge their commitment and indicate your willingness to agree to help them in keep their promise? Church, what is your response? We will. Indeed you will. And I have great confidence in that, and it is a joy to be a part of this family of God. I'd like the elders now to surround you as I lead in prayer a blessing for George. Oh, Father, we are thankful for the gift of this child that you have given to Ethan and Elena, to Stuart. You have also given them to this church to come alongside, to be a part, to help encourage both Ethan and Elena, to also to be an example for this little one, George. I pray right now, Father. I pray. I pray that you will let him know as soon as he is aware of his sin that he will know of a Savior. That those seeds of truth would have been planted so deeply by all that have participated in his life that he will know where to find a refuge. That he will know what this refuge is about and that he indeed will take rest in Christ and Christ alone. I pray that you will bless him in a special way. May his life be a life that brings glory to Christ and many others as he points to this great truth, the privilege that he has to grow up in a Christian family and a Christian church. May Christ be known to the world in a unique way by George. I pray this because it will glorify you. You have glorified your name and you will glorify it. And I pray that we will be part of that exaltation in Christ's name.
sing a few hymns. <coughs> if you would like to lead us. Amen. Let's stand together and take our hymn books and turn them to 446.
Good morning, church. What a beautiful day to praise the Lord. Amen. This morning, we're going to be reading uh, Psalm chapter 95 and Psalm chapter 96. If you don't have your Bible this morning, that's going to be page 499 in your pew Bible. Psalm chapter 95 and Psalm chapter 96. If you don't have your Bible, that's going to be page 499 in your pew Bible. Before we get started, I'm just going to read... Uh, as we see all the children and how beautiful that is this morning in the dedication, I just want to read Matthew chapter 18 really quick, a few extra verses to tack on to this while everybody's finding Psalm 95. Matthew chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Um, <clears throat> I actually had two children with birthdays this past week, and... Uh, I'll say just as a father, one of the probably the greatest blessing of my life is being a parent and being a father. Seeing your children grow and being able to preach the gospel to them, it's just, uh, in all my experiences, there's no greater experience in life than being a parent. Let us read together Psalms of Praise, Psalm chapter 95 and 96. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Psalm chapter 96. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. 
Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let us pray together this morning. I'm going to just read the first few verses of Psalm 95 again in praise to our maker. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for all the blessings that you've given us, God, that we most certainly do not deserve. Lord, we're totally depraved in our sin apart from Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the blessings of the children in the service today, Lord. And we want to pray today, Lord, for the salvation of all of our children. Lord, may we preach and live the word faithfully in our homes to set a godly example that glorifies Christ alone and points our children to repentance and faith in Christ alone. Help us, Lord, to be servants beyond our homes, in the workplace, in the marketplace. Help us to be servants of one another in the church. We thank you, Lord, again for a church that desires sound teaching and admonition. We ask, Lord, that you continue to bring more brothers and sisters and children in Christ who desire holiness and have a hunger for your word. Lord, we desire to exalt your name today, and we ask that you open our hearts. We ask, Lord, that you break any hard heart here today that doesn't know you and save them. Lord, this week, give us strength and opportunity to proclaim the gospel, most of all, first in the home and then the other places we talked about earlier, the marketplace, the workplace. Let Let the world see a people set apart, not living for this world, but for the world to come and for your glory. We ask, Lord, that you bless the offering today and help guide us to use it wisely and for your glory alone. It's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. Amen.
hard to do sometimes. The older I get, I think about these little ones who have a great privilege to grow up in a Christian home, a true Christian home, and a true Christian church. And by church, I don't mean a building. I mean people. I mean true believers in Christ. It's a great blessing that we shouldn't take for granted. It's a great privilege to be exposed to the gospel from the very beginning, both in word and deed. And I know and I'm confident that Christ will continue to build his church and that he will continue to call many sons and daughters to praise his name. It's just a privilege to be a part of it. And I can't tell you what a great joy that is. And to see his work in the lives of his people and to be a part of it. We need to have faith. We need to believe. We need to trust in God at all times. Even in dark and difficult times, in times that's definitely going to face generations that we've never faced before. But God is just as strong from the very beginning. The gospel is just as powerful. We just need to believe and trust. And God will accomplish his purposes. The disciples that we've been looking at, at the post-resurrection of Christ found in John 20, struggled to some degree with their belief. It wasn't that they were unbelievers. They were certainly believers. They needed their belief to be strengthened, if you will, to grow. This morning, we're going to consider the, what I would call the fourth scene, if you will, in John chapter 20, the resur- after the resurrection of Christ. <coughs> this narrative here, if you recall, just refresh your memory, the first scene, so to speak, was highlighted by Peter and John, who were told that the tomb was empty by the women who dispatched Mary Magdalene to go to them to report the news. They ran to the scene. John, being the younger of the two, got there first and waited outside for Peter, who Peter showed up, and he went inside. They made an investigation, and sure enough, the tomb was empty. And beyond that, there were the grave clothes there, undisturbed interwoven with at least 75 pounds of spices, and yet it was laid right there. If you remember, in the resurrection of Lazarus, I think of what, John 11, they had to unbind him, right? Here's something different that they noticed. Here's the grave clothes laying there undisturbed. And then the face cloth, which would have covered the face and the way they bury, it was folded neatly and set aside. Someone had to, to set that aside and do so in a careful way. Jesus was not bound by the material garments which he had, and he could actually handle those material garments garments in folding the cloth. 
it, it really demonstrates early on, as they notice in this first scene, if you will, that Jesus could live in both worlds, material and immaterial. Peter and John didn't fully understand. I mean, they're first there on the scene. They believe, but yet they need to have their belief increased, if you will, informed by Holy Scripture. Notice verse 9, for as yet they didn't understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. They knew that the righteous would rise in the eschaton, that's the end of the age, but here Christ is, re- is rising right now. However, as their faith grew, again, I'm not suggesting they were unbelievers, it's just their faith needed to flourish, to grow. They were satisfied enough here to believe and simply return home. They, they believed that Christ had risen. They didn't fully understand it. Andy was talking this morning in his lesson this morning about, look, you may not understand everything, but you should believe, Right? believe the truth. And ultimately, the Scripture. The Scripture says this. You may not have the capacity to understand every aspect, certainly not, but you can read and hear the very truth. They were satisfied. We're not given their full thoughts of what they might have had, but they were certainly in a different frame of mind than the person in scene two, Mary Magdalene. She is deeply distraught. All hope, if you will, is lost. Her faith is is waning. She's lost all hope. She's weeping uncontrollably in great sorrow. She has come to this tomb, after all, after all that has happened, after witnessing Jesus to be crucified to die, and then to be buried, and yet she goes back to to do lovingly anoint his body properly for burial. They didn't have time to do it properly, and now the body's gone. So now she can't even do that. Yeah, everything she had hoped for is is gone. She needs to believe. She needs greater faith. It needs to grow. It is, as I pointed out when we were talking about that event, it is her, ultimately her love, genuine love for Christ, granted to her supernaturally, as we talked about, the love of God is actually poured out into the heart of the believer. And though faith might seem to fail to some degree, hope seems to be lost, and you don't know if you can hang on, you will. And you will because you love Christ, and that's very significant and important. It isn't that you just love being part of an organization, or you like what this person does or that one does, or you like these various things. No, it is a person, it is Jesus Christ, and you're bound to Him by a supernatural love that will never end. True love never does. I mean, we experience, we think about love in different ways, but most of our experiences, you know, waxes and wanes a bit. But here is an inexpressible love of God poured out in her heart. And so she hangs on even though she's weeping 
She's emotionally distraught, but she loves Christ. And Christ is gracious to her to appear. Doesn't have to, but he physically appears to her and simply calls her name. <laughs> and the floodgates of sorrow flourish into great joy. From the very lowest point to the highest point, a great exaltation in her response is to worship at the feet of her risen Lord. Later that evening, the third scene as I would call it, Jesus manifests himself to the disciples. They're hiding. They're hiding in a room behind locked doors. They're afraid of the Jewish leaders. Naturally so. They just crucified Christ. Convicted him of a crime for which he wasn't guilty. Grave clothes don't bind Jesus and neither do locked doors. He simply appears in their midst. He repeats an important phrase that I emphasized last time. And it's a formal phrase, peace be with you. We might think of God bless you. But he, but he means more than a formality. He repeats this phrase twice because he actually genuinely means it. That the peace of God would be with them. They need peace. They're in great trial, great turmoil, great fear, distraught to some great degree. They have the peace of God, he reminds them, because of Christ, because of what he did on the cross. In fact, he reminds them about it with this eternal significance that will be on Christ's hands and his side, those nail-pierced hands and the pierced side. He points to that, to them, and he reminds them the blessing that they have and the peace, really, that they have even in the midst of this great chaos because of Christ. These marks are marks ultimately of perfection to remind us of Christ's work. Well, the disciples do get it. Notice verse 20. I'm still in chapter 20 giving you a review. They respond how? just like Mary, in great joy. They have the peace of God that passes all understanding. They still can't figure out everything perfectly, right? But they know Christ. They've been reminded of the peace that they have, and that results in joy. John concludes this chapter with one more scene. Thomas. It's going to emphasize again, once again, the very theme of this gospel for which he closes. And it functions, really, this fourth scene, it functions as a transition to the main point that we must not lose. If we don't get anything else, we must get this. Emphasize throughout the gospel, continually, verse 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. It doesn't record everything. But these things, and particularly the ones that John put in here in these scenes that he wants us to see, these are written so, why? So that you would believe. That's what's essential. 
that you would believe. Believe what? That you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior. He is the Deliverer. He is God incarnate. That which the world, if you will, crucified him for. Because he said he was the Christ, the Son of God. They didn't believe. And their unbelief was in, demonstrated in the rebellion against the Lord. But how would they come to faith? Well, it is these things that are written right here in this book. And that's why we bring this book up, why we read the book, why the little children sing the book. These things are written. Not just some formal writing or some poetic words for us to keep, some good points about how to, to be more effective in our daily life. No, these things are written so that you might have life in Christ. That's what matters. There's nothing else that matters. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. How are you going to get around that? It is only one way. It is by nail-pierced hands and a, and, a, and a side that has a spear stuck into it. It is by Christ and Christ alone. That's the only way that you will live. The only way that you will rise from the dead is through the resurrected Christ. And so John wants us to know this. He wants everyone here to have life in his name. This is what you must teach your children daily, always. Teach them about Christ. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pens this thematic conclusion to the matter. And he's going to remind us of another significant appearance of Jesus. He makes a special appearance to this one, Thomas. He does so, and it's recorded here, so that your faith would flourish. Let's read that vignette. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, And hey, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, 
but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you will give us a glimpse of your glory in your word. I pray that if there are any in the sound of my voice, whether here or in the recording of this in future day, I pray that they will see Christ and believe. But those of us who have expressed genuine faith in Christ, our faith needs to grow and to flourish. And I pray through the hearing and proclamation of your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will accomplish what you pur purpose. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now this section of scripture here, many of us are familiar with, aren't we? Oftentimes it's referred to as Doubting Thomas. It is true that Thomas does wrestle with unbelief. He makes a bold statement. Notice here he says, Unless I see in the hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, he says this, I will never believe. He doesn't understand the scripture <laughs> to make a statement. But we have to be careful not to criticize him too harshly. As we've already noted in the other parts of this narrative, the other disciples weren't doing all that well either. <laughs> they were wrestling with their faith, right? Including, of all people, Peter and John. All the disciples were scattered Rather than being triumphant in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus had already told them all that was going to happen, every bit of it, including all of the persecution, the rejection, the crucifixion. And then he said, I'm going to rise again on the third day. This was the third day on that Lord's Day, we call it now, Sunday. If they really believed, they would have just waited for him to arise. And then when they saw it actually empty, they should have made that conclusion that he has risen from the dead. They all wrestled. And beloved, it's easy for us to look back with hindsight. But at times we wrestle with belief too, don't we? Might be in a certain circumstance or whatever it might be. Even though Scripture might say this or that, we do struggle. Thomas is struggling. He's struggling with his belief. This account here demonstrates someone who is, well... He's not an unbeliever. He's just a bit confused, a bit. He wasn't in the upper room with the other disciples the previous week. 
<coughs> for other, whatever reason, he had to miss church that Sunday. And I advise that's not a good thing to do. You never know, the Lord might show up. <laughs> We're not told why, but he wasn't there. He hears this message, verse 24, notice. The other disciples then tell him, hey, we have seen the Lord. Notice it says the them was there. He wasn't with them. The them is the reference to the disciples from the previous week. The point I'm making here is that this isn't just one or two, Peter and John, that would be sufficient, Mary Magdalene, and maybe the other women, but this is the them, this is all of them, that's by implication what's going on, not just one or two, all of them, (coughs) all of them have testified to the resurrection of Christ and then confirmed their various accounts of it, Mary, who had a an appearance there in the garden, and the disciples in the previous week, they even had some details. Notice when Thomas gives this away, when he says, well, unless I can put my finger in, what, the prints of, his, of the nails in his hand and, in, and stick it into his side, you know, physically examine it, then I'll never believe. They, they told him those details, Right? He wouldn't have known that otherwise. They emphasized that. Hey, we, we, we saw this body with that. Well, let me see it. That's the idea. They're talking about the details of Christ's glorified body. It's intriguing to me when I read this account to think, well, here's Thomas. He's with all the disciples. They, they explain to him all the facts, and he rejects them. Perhaps he wasn't an evidentialist, I'm not sure. In any case, Thomas here, he is inclined to questioning, skepticism perhaps, or if you want to be kind, maybe he's just analytical in his thinking, <laughs> you know. Trust but verify. Now, I can understand that because I have a tendency, really, to be much more in that vein. He, he wants to examine it. As I mentioned before, he, he knew Jesus was going to rise. It isn't that they were denying it. They just didn't know exactly when, right? Remember when Lazarus, in, in that encounter, Jesus says, they said, well, I know that you're going to rise again at the end of the age. And Jesus points and looks at her and says, I am the resurrection and the life, right? If he doesn't rise, no one else will in the future. He taught him that. But Thomas had really been inclined towards examining things, but don't dismiss him as a false believer or someone without great conviction and courage. He did have it. You'll find him a couple other times in John. You, you could just note where they are. I'll just read, for the sake of time, the section here. In John chapter 11, 
They're going to go, this is the resurrection chapter, they're going to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus does explain what's going to happen and they know what's going to happen. They know that this is going to be a great confrontation unto death. And in verse 16 of chapter 11, it is Thomas who calls out to his rest of the disciples and says, Hey men, let's all go that we may die with him. He truly was going to pick up his cross and follow Christ. He's a man of great courage and conviction. But yet he was confused a bit as many of the other disciples, should I say all of them were, when Jesus talks about the future and his ascension into heaven and all that he is going to do, including sending the Holy Spirit, preparing a place for them in John chapter 14, <coughs> he tells the disciples, well, you know where I'm going. Well, they should have because he taught them that, because the scriptures taught them that, and yet Thomas's response in a confused state 14.5, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? The answer is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, ultimately, right? You, you don't need to know all of the physical steps to the path and exactly what it looks like. You need to know about a person. It isn't a plan of salvation. It is a person. It is Christ. And you may be confused about some of the theological aspects. It's okay. Like these little children just believe. Is there something in your heart that causes that? To where all of a sudden, I love Christ. I'm not sure why, but I do. And I believe. He did, but he was confused. He had facts. He had his brothers and sisters around him. That is Thomas. He gets their testimony, and yet he struggles with his faith. I find that also ironic a bit in the fact, again, remember the situation here that Thomas has. He has all of these disciples the nucleus of the church testifying to the truth of Christ and he, he essentially rejects it, doesn't he? He should have known as a good Jewish boy on the testimony of two or three witnesses a thing is established. That's what he was taught. But this is more than two or three. This is the whole lot of them. This is all of them. And it isn't just anybody. It is the church. They're making a testimony of it. They're all in agreement. He's the one that's out of agreement. Even if he couldn't figure it all out, he should affirm their testimony. But he doesn't. I don't have a lot of time to delve into this to a great degree. But let me just highlight something for you and that is connected to verse 23 of John 20. But I'm going to jump to Matthew 18. You don't have to turn there. If you want to, you can. Chapter 18, verse 15. Just to highlight, remember how significant this is. And he also sets us up of the authority of the church and the testimony that we have collectively together, right? We don't have a pope. 
We have a church. Christ is head of the church. In John chapter 18, beginning verse 15, it gives the church instructions then on how to deal with somebody who is going astray. If he's sinning, you go and tell him his fault. Verse 15. If he listens, good. And then what do you do? Well, then, then you just get on Facebook and write stuff about him and gossip. What? No. You, you get someone else within the church, a couple of you, so that it would be established. And he says on the evidence of, verse 16, two or three witnesses. That's the idea. This is a powerful thing. Listen, if, you have, if you're in a body of Christ, this is one of our commitments and covenant together, and somebody confronts you with your sin or, or, or something that's going wrong here, and, and then it's not just one, but multiple that are doing it, maybe you should examine yourself. That's the point. God, God has instituted this as a way to keep the church pure, because if you don't respond to this properly, it only demonstrates that you're not one of us. He said in verse 17, if he refuses to listen, tell it to the, the church, that is to the body of Christ at large, and he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you like a Gentile or tax collector. That's euphemistic for a sinner, right? Someone who's not part of of the church. And then he goes on saying, whatever you bind, it will be bound. Whatever you loose, will be loosed. If you agree on anything here, that is, if the church collectively together agrees, that is the true church, regenerate church. I'm not saying a, a building and, and an organization that calls themselves a church. He's talking about genuine believers. If they are gathered collectively together, they're called a church. And if they affirm this, then they're affirming what is true because they have the Word of God enlightened by the Holy Spirit and they have this authority because for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am among them. It isn't that we're just gathering for any particular reason. The, po the point is when the church collectively gets together and we make judgments on things like this, truth, excuse me, all of us submitting to Christ, Christ is there. Of course He is. How is He there? He is there in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the individual believers who are submitting to one another in love and in truth and trying to resolve a problem or a situation to save this person's life. Here's where it connects to verse twenty twenty three. From last week in John, where they're charged with, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from many, it is withheld. It isn't that they are going to provide the atonement. It is the atonement is accomplished by Christ, prince on the hand, right? Side pierced. It's by Christ that the atonement is paid, but it is the church collectively who gathers together and recognizes that and affirms that. This is what, by the way, church membership is all about. I may or may not finish this. 
we were at this church, true church pastors conference, which was good. And one of the things that interests me there, um, experientially hearing about some of the circumstances that some of these men have to go through. And they talk about often how awful it is to be in a church with a bunch of rebellious people who constantly try to undermine what's being done, who do not handle things in a gracious way, but do so in a gossiping way, who do not bring about unity, but disunity. And they talk about some of the trials and tribulations they've gone through for different periods of time and how difficult it would be there is and was. Every time I hear those stories, which I hear a lot of them, I think about my own circumstance in the pulpit here, right here. I haven't experienced that. And I wonder why sometimes. Oh, it could happen. I'm not suggesting it could never happen. But I've been graciously spared. And as I reflected on that, I said, yeah, that's right. Well, we essentially reconstituted as a new church in 2009 because everybody left except those two. We got rid of all the goats. All we had was a couple of sheep. And then we fixed the front door over there, and it's got a gate. His name is Jesus Christ. And everyone that walked through that door, we didn't put them through an inquisition, but we did question them. Do you love Christ? Tell me about it. How did you come to know Christ? What does he mean to you? What's the church mean? Just simple things like that. It was an investigation to see if they're in Christ, if they love Christ, if they're truly regenerate. I have no concern about whatsoever about hitting any particular attendance goal or number. It's never been a part of my idea or ideology. Now, trust me, I love the fact that many of you continue to come and more of you keep coming. I weep with great joy to see children born in the church with loving parents who will teach them the truth. I think about every day you guys engaging and involved in prayer for one another, serving one another, helping one another. It's just absolutely beautiful. And you know what I really love? I love not getting the emails and the calls and all the nastiness. I don't get it. I know I'm not going to knock on superstitious wood. (laughs) I think it's because of that right there, Christ and the cross. We don't do a perfect job in evaluating, but we do call people to repentance and faith. And we try to make a good decision about whether they're actually in the faith. This is a a collective effort of the church. It isn't me managing or micromanaging anything. And for those of you who have been here for a while, you know that, don't you? It is a great joy to be an under-shepherd 
of Christ and to shepherd a true church where you have people who actually love Christ. Now, we've had a few who demonstrated that they did not. You know what they do? They go. Because we don't have any goat food here. Right? It, it doesn't taste well to them. And we'll do it in great respect and so forth and somewhat disheartening. You know why? Because I want everybody to see the goodness and glory of Christ. I came to Christ as a young man and early on uh, for years and years and years. No one really taught me how good and great God is or how beautiful His Word is. In time, I did learn and others did teach me. But man, I want them from, well, from this age here, right, to that age to see the glory of Christ in all things within His church. I want them to believe to truly believe. Christ has given the church an authority to, to speak. And I would advise you, beloved, to, to listen. Not to me as some sort of dictator of truth. This is one of the reasons we have elders, by the way. So they can help keep me in line. There are many places called a church that do not have men of God leading the people and alongside of the pastor to support, to help, to correct, to guide that he can go to. I'm thinking about one in our city that Jerry pulled up, the article, I don't want to get into detail, you can ask him about it. But I'm aware of the situation Supposedly the fastest growing church in Chattanooga. They had a couple buildings, many millions of dollars, and it's all gone now. Well, it never was a church. It was just a collection of a religious organization. They didn't preach Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. And the leader of it who called himself a pastor was not accountable to anybody but himself. He didn't recognize what a wretched man he is. I couldn't imagine being accountable just to myself. Because you know what? I'd get in trouble big time in no time. I'm accountable to Christ and those that he have placed alongside me within the church. And that's your elders. We don't run around here as, as people to uh, dictate some sort of formula or plan and, and, and uh, punish people. You know what they do for you? They pray for you. We, we, we divided up the church roster so that they can engage in intentional prayer for you. And we do that. And if they see something, and, and I'm not speaking, I'm just speaking because this is just in the text, and, and it was just intrigued me about the church's responsibility to provide guidance and discipline to Christ's church. I'm not speaking to any problem we currently have going on now, because we don't. We don't have that, and I'm thankful, right? So that's not what that's about. It's, it's just in the text, and then it reminds me to remind you of the uh, of, of what we have together as Christ's church. This stewardship that we have has been 
has been granted by Christ, including the structure of it, so that it will bring back those quote-unquote lost sheep back to the fold. That's the whole point. And listen, if you're struggling with something, whether uh, theologically or practically, morally, whatever, come to us. Our goal is to help and bring you to Christ and come alongside you. But if we tell you something, that is, let's say the elders, and you won't hear, you won't hear then what the church has to say, then you're not one of us. And we're going to reluctantly send you out and treat you like an unbeliever. And how do you treat an unbeliever? Hateful and spiteful? No. We're going to continue to preach the gospel to you and weep. Because that's all that matters. All that matters is that you believe. And the fact that you believe isn't that you just affirm some information, but that you have a love for Christ in your heart, and it's expressed in how you live. And certainly we're not expecting a level of perfection of accomplishment of that. But we're looking for a progress of that. And when we see go astray, we're going to come and bring you back in. And beloved, it, it, is, it is not just a person, it is the church because we have this stewardship and authority by Christ, including me. I am helped a lot by you people being the sheep, if you will, because I'm one of you. And I appreciate your prayers. I appreciate your encouragement. And if you recognize something in my life as well, you are free to talk directly to me. Do it in a spirit of truth and love, for sure. And if it's something serious, yeah. I mean, see me first, and if I don't see it, call some others. Particularly, since I'm an elder in the church, call the other elders. Not to gossip, but to help. Because you know what? I want to believe. I want to be confident in Christ. I, I want to live for Christ. Thomas was in a state of confusion and doubt. Christ had already given him all he needed. He had that whole cadre of believers with him who had a valid testimony, and they all gathered around him and told him the truth. But this was wrong on Thomas's part. He wouldn't listen. He didn't listen. And therefore, he's left confused. But Christ won't abandon Thomas. We'll pick that up next time. Christ, you'll see, eight days later, verse 26. That's how they counted time. They would have added... We don't count time that way. We'd say seven, right? They would do eight. They would count the, the day they're on plus seven, therefore eight. So don't be confused. It's the Lord's day again. And if you notice this text, Jesus essentially recreates everything that they just told him. <laughs> what, what a gracious God to do that, to, to recreate everything for him. What, what does he owe Thomas? Nothing. They, he should have just believed the testimony. But Jesus condescends with him and grants him peace again. And he says, peace 
be with you. I'll look forward to unpacking that to some degree next week. But for this week, the message I hope you got is simply this. Believe. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your graciousness, particularly to me. I'm thankful that you have drawn me to Christ and you have surrounded me with those who love Christ. I pray for our affections for Christ to continually grow. I pray it will overflow into the encouragement of one another, that our faith would be established by Christ to his praise and glory alone. Amen. Beloved, take a moment now to think on these things. Respond to Christ the way he has spoken to you. Take a moment now. Father, I do pray the peace of Christ would be with your people even this day. I pray our faith in Christ will flourish. May it be stronger every day. May we feed and feast on your word and gain the resources that we need to rejoice in Christ alone. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, what's that hymn you're playing? That sounds soft and easy and helpful for me. I, I'm sorry that I just, all this stuff just really broke me up. But I sure enjoy worshiping Christ and seeing you as well and participating. It's been a great joy. What hymn are you playing? What number? 426. I like that one part. Help us to listen, whatever. Let's see what that is. 426. We didn't come here to put on a professional program. I hope you understand. Our goal is to worship Christ. Open our eyes. This is nice hymn. Um, it's, it's a request for God to really en enable us to see the glory of Christ. People can see the substance of what's written, but the significance of it. I think I was talking about Angela today, right? The How do you see the significance of this truth? Well, it's through the dynamic of the Holy Spirit, and we can't force that. But here's a great hymn as a prayer to open our eyes, Lord. Let's stand and sing this together, 426. Jerry, you come and lead us. Open our eyes, Lord.
Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord my, with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord's, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused the wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all who practice it have a good understanding. Amen and amen. <clears throat> You're dismissed.